0: As we've been moving through the book of Philippians, um, we've come to discover that the underlying theme that Paul is concerned, uh, the thing that causes him the most concern about the church at Philippi is that they may remain united, that they remain strong together, uh, being of one mind, that there be no divisions among them. And of course, this is a concern that Paul has for any church, but he really... Uh, wanted this church to remain strong and united because of the fact that this is a church that he loved dearly. Uh, from the very beginning of the book of Philippians, we discovered that this is a church that was his partner in gospel, that sent to his um, financial needs time and time again. He loved this church. Uh, if he could get out of prison, the very first place he wanted to be, and the place he wanted to be the most was the church at Philippi. And I'm not going to rehash everything that uh, we've studied so far, but we're in the section of the book where Paul is finally really driving home the point that he wants to make sure that the church at Philippi understands and uh, that he doesn't want any strife, he doesn't want any divisions among them. And as we brought up a couple weeks ago, the thing that concerns him the most that might cause division is a group of people that may be coming into the church that's going to cause problems for the church at Philippi. And those of you who still have your thinking caps on this morning, didn't leave them at home, what was the group of people he was concerned of? Yes, Roger. The Judaizers. And the Judaizers, are they the ones that go around saying, Judy, 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 Judy? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are Judaizers? Very good. They, they made us, uh, they wanted Christians to be dual characters, if you will. They wanted them to be saved because they were Christians, but they also said that you couldn't fully be saved unless you kept the law of Moses. And um, you had to keep all the dietary laws, you had to keep all the, uh, the commandments that were under the old law, uh, even the commandment to be circumcised. And that was kind of the high watermark, if you will, to, to prove that you were willing to be the kind of Christian that they thought that you should be. And they would come into churches, and they would split churches over this because they would uh, come in and say, you know, if you want to be as holy as you can possibly be, if you want to be the best Christian you can be, well, not only do you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, but you need to do all these other things. And as in in any situation, when somebody comes in and starts speaking their own ways of doing things, there will be some of the congregation Uh, That will side with them, and of course there will be some of the congregation that will oppose them, and that will cause a split in a congregation. And depending on how much power the Judaizers would have, uh, they would either take control of that congregation, and the one that would not uh, agree with them would split off and start meeting somewhere else, or they would be able to pull a group away from that church and they'd start meeting somewhere else, as we see even happens in the world today uh, with people who are not Judaizing teachers but yet have their own agenda. And so Paul, the section we are in right now, Paul is dealing with the fact uh, that there is nothing that a person can do by keeping the law, there's nothing a person can do in the flesh uh, to save himself. And um, we can talk about some other different issues about what we need to do as a Christian, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. He is talking about where does salvation come from? And he's trying to, of course, show the contrast between these group of men that were coming into the church and saying, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. These are all things that you have to do in the flesh if you're going to be saved. And Paul's showing the right view, the Christian view, God's view, that nothing man can do can earn his salvation. And we've already talked about how that Paul uh, spent some time Dealing with the fact that uh, he was a man, if you wanted to call himself being saved by his own works, he certainly qualified. You remember beginning at verse 5, he talked about about his proud Jewish heritage. He talked about how that uh, he came from the right tribe. He talked about how that he kept all the customs, how that he was a Pharisee. In fact, you get down to the end of verse 6 and he says that uh, as far as righteousness is concerned and keeping the law, he was blameless. And then he goes on in verse seven, it says, "But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ." In other words, he's saying that none of those things matter when I became a Christian because those things didn't earn me anything. And then last week we spent some time talking about um, What was important, and it was verse 9, that he needed to be found in Jesus Christ because it's only in Jesus Christ that he was going to be saved. In fact, he goes on in verse 9 and saying that none of his own righteousness, uh, and of course he's dealing with Judaizers, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of, of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. The only way that a person is going to be saved is to have the righteousness of God imputed upon them and the only way we're going to have the righteousness of God imputed upon us so that we can be righteous before God is by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's basically where we left off last week. Verse 11 talks about if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Um, we talked about how that, that could be uh, talking about two different things, uh, talking about either about the walking of newness of life in comparison to what he said earlier about being conformed to his death. When a person is baptized, they are conformed to his death, and they rise to walk in newness of life. Or he could be talking about, in verse 11, talking about the final resurrection, when you're finally going to be saved. Uh, ultimately, you've finally reached the total perfection that God wanted for, for you because you'll be raised from this mortal body to a body that's immortal, uh, This corruptible, will put on incorruptible, and we'll finally attain our goal. And so that's where we left off uh, last Wednesday night, Uh, Paul saying that he's looking forward to the fact of either walking in newness of life, which is a part of being a Christian. When a person becomes a Christian, they now are a different person. They walk in newness of life, not because of their own merit, but because of obeying the gospel and because of the grace and the blood uh, that is bestowed upon us uh, through God and through his son, Jesus Christ. Or he's talking about the ultimate salvation that is being raised on the judgment day uh, to live forever with God and the redeemed of all the ages. Now, I had to get us all here so we can go to our next part, but any questions or comments before we start looking at some new texts today? All right, so everybody's going to do well on the text. And I hope I didn't confuse too many people getting us here. Well, <clears throat> the next section we're going to look at is Paul dealing with this idea of, once again, of... The I, he, he well, here's the best way to, per, to put it. Um, I want you to notice, uh, before we start actually looking at the text, uh, look at verse 12, and I want you to notice that he uses the word perfect there. And I want you to notice in verse 15, he uses the word perfect there. Okay, so look at verse 12. We're going to try to get through verse 16 today, but look at verse 12 and verse Verse uh, 15. And he uses the word perfect two two different times there. And um, it kind of gives you the direction that Paul is going to head in now. So look at both of those verses. And I want you to think about um, Paul is trying to push forth the idea that a man is saved not of anything that he does, And he wants to be a part of that walking in newness of life. And he wants to be a part of that final resurrection, if you will. And now he, in verse 12, uses the word perfect. And in verse 15, he uses the word perfect. And somebody look at verse 12 and tell me how he's using the word perfect in that verse. Okay? And what does he say about that, though? What does he say? How does he use it? He says... He's not. All right, all right. So keep that in mind. And then in verse fifteen, he's referring to uh, other Christians, self included, because he uses the word "us" there. And he refers to himself as being what? All right, mature. All right. Anybody have anything else? Yes, Jeff. Complete. Okay. All right, just trying to get you to start thinking about what we're going to be talking about here in just a moment. All right, so in one verse, he talks about how that he basically is not everything that he needs to be. But then in verse 15, he talks about how that he has reached maturity or we have reached maturity or completeness or uh, perfection in in a sense that there is another sense of it. All right. So, just kind of keep that in mind as we start moving through the text. All right. So, Paul has laid the groundwork that uh, because of the fact that he believes in Jesus Christ, that the righteousness of God has been imputed upon him. And therefore, in verse 11, he says, If by any means I might attain or grasp or have the resurrection of the dead. Uh, the ultimate salvation, or depending on some commentators, the idea of ultimate walking in newness of life. Okay? Uh, either way it works because of the fact if it's newness of life, one of the things that uh, happens to us after we become a Christian, we rise to walk in newness of life. That means we are a new person. Uh, that means all of our sins have been, com- have been forgiven. That means that um, our new life that we live is a life that is lived under the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ, and we strive to honor that grace and honor that blood. Or it could be the idea of the fact that through the grace of God that one day we're going to be risen from the dead, and because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to be able to have an eternal home in heaven. All that fits here, so either way you look at it or either comment, whatever commentary uh, you look at, it's going, it's going to fit. But beginning at verse 12, Paul is going to deal with the fact of his confidence that he has in the blood of Jesus Christ, his confidence he has in the grace of God, versus real life. Everyone in here understands, and I hope you understand and appreciate this, that we are saved by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm putting my trust in, and I hope that's what you're putting your trust in. That's what Paul's already emphasized. He's emphasizing this even more so because he's got these Judaizing teachers that are are trying to say, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to keep the law. Well, Paul's made the point, my confidence is in Jesus Christ. That's what's going to save me. But now, beginning in verse 12, he's going to deal with real life. As we have to deal with real life. And we look at our real life and we realize, I'm not holding up my end of the bargain very well. Back in verse 12, he says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after that I might apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of uh, Jesus Christ. Now, we have got a lot of stuff going on in this verse and it's, Kind of hard to understand because he uses that word uh, apprehended and attained there so many times. It kind of uh, boggles the mind just a little bit. But I want you to dwell on the fact that first of all, Paul is saying here in verse 12 that he is not everything that he wants to be yet. In fact, he says, I've not already attained. Looking back up at verse 11, I already attained the resurrection of the dead. And once again, depending on which reader, writer you read, uh, he's either talking about truly walking in newness of life or he's talking about the ultimate resurrection. Either way it fits. But he's saying, I'm not there yet. I'm either not fully walking in newness of life like God wants me to do or I've not reached the point of that I'm going to be resurrected from the dead yet as far as he is concerned because um, he's not perfect as he says in verse 12. Now, I read that, and that gives me some hope and some consolation, if you will, because think about the man who is writing these words. This is the Apostle Paul, uh, one of the greatest missionaries that the world had ever seen, uh, probably one of the greatest Christians, if you look at his life, that the world had ever seen. He was an apostle. Uh, he was one that had converted Thousands probably. He established churches all over the known world. In fact, he tells us he took the gospel to the entire known world at the time. Here was a man who wrote uh, even one of these books we're reading now that have uh, been read even 2,000 years later. Uh, Here is a man that um, was in prison now, uh, suffering because he was a Christian. Uh, he could have very easily denounced his christianity and been been done with it but he was going to stand firm for jesus christ so think about that for a moment the man that is saying these words is the apostle paul and he says i'm not there yet i'm not everything that i want to be i've got some work to do this idea of being found in Jesus Christ, this idea of putting all my faith and trust in God uh, depending upon the blood of Jesus Christ as I strive to walk in newness of life, as I look forward, if you look at it the other way, to the final resurrection of the dead. In other words, he understands and appreciates the fact that he's saved by faith through, uh, through Jesus Christ, and that's the point he's making to these Judaizing teachers, but as he reflects back on his own life, he says, you know, man, I'm, I still mess up so much. In fact, um, he goes on and says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that if I may apprehend for that which I also I am apprehended of Jesus Christ. Now, that idea there I am apprehended of Jesus Christ or have taken of Jesus Christ. He's talking about his conversion here. Uh, the word there in the Greek for apprehended is in the passive voice, which I know that doesn't make any sense to you, but the passive voice always points back to something, to something that happened in the past. And so he's saying that he is trying to follow after what he did as far as his conversion was concerned when he was converted by Jesus Christ, but this is what he is doing now as he lives this Christian life. Like I said, it's hard to understand in verse 12 because of the way it's worded. Uh, But let me see if I can break it down for you in simple terms now. He's saying, I'm not everything that I need to be. I know that I'm not perfect as I live the Christian life, as I think about what Jesus Christ did for me when I was converted. That's what he's alluding to in verse 12. So this is what he's setting the stage for as we get now to verse 13. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now what was Paul saying there? Now, keep in mind who we're talking about here. Here's the Apostle Paul, and he realizes that he needs to make some improvements in his life. Well, how does a Christian go about making improvements in his life? Well, he says, first of all, in verse 13, he says, I know I'm not where I need to be. That's what he means when he says, I count myself not to to have apprehended. He's doubling down on what he said in verse 12. But then he says, this one thing I do. Now, that being in the text, I think is important. Uh, He could have said, well, there's several different things that I do as far as trying to do what I'm trying to do. But this one thing I do. So this must be something that's very important. And look what he says. He says, first of all, I forget those things which are behind. Now, what does he mean when he says, I forget those things which are behind? Yes, Roger. All right, look at forget the past and look forward. Now, what past are we forget, forgetting here? All right. Now, we bring, Glenn brought that up, and you brought that up, and he did persecute the church in his younger years, so you think that's the only thing he did wrong? You don't think he had any other problems with his life after that? All right, he was just as normal as the rest of us. Um, uh, he was tempted in all points as we are, but he, like Jesus, probably didn't resist all those temptations. We don't know what those things are. Uh, the Bible doesn't record anything, but he was a man, and therefore he wasn't perfect. The thing that always weighed on his mind, of course, was how he persecuted the church, but there was other things that, were, that of course, bothered him. So when we talk about the past, the first thing he's talking about is just the things that he did wrong, Okay. There's also a second thing he's talking about here, a second thing that fits within the context of everything he's talked about so far. Absolutely. In fact, that fits better with the context, and both things are true. There are things that we've done in our life that are bad, and any sin is bad. I know sometimes we place more weight weight on some sins than others, but any sin, as far as God is concerned, is an abomination to him. Uh, but also there are things in our life that we've, we've done that are good. Earlier in the text, in verses 5 through seven, uh, 6, Paul talked about all the things that he did right. But those didn't get him any, anywhere. Uh, all the things that he did bad. He's saying, well, that didn't get me anywhere either. But once again, that's what, not what's dependent upon my salvation If I'm putting my faith and trust in God, and of course we can uh, talk about 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from all sin. And we can talk about verse 9 of the same chapter. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the thing that Paul wants us to understand here is he's trying to be the kind of person that he needs to be, he realizes he's not the person he needs to be sometimes. But when that happens, there's this one thing he does. The first thing he does is he forgets about the past. Before he can go any further forward, he has to forget about the past, whether those things were good things, because all of our unrighteousness, as uh, we're reminded by Isaiah the prophet, are like filthy rags as far as God is concerned. And he also needs to forget about the bad things that he did in the past. Uh, There's no way in the world you can move forward if you're looking behind you. Uh, There is a lady in our neighborhood. Um, She's very fit. But it's funny whenever we're driving down the road and we see this lady in our neighborhood, she is always running backwards. Yeah, I don't know how she does it, but she jogs backwards, and she's like I said, she's extremely fit. And I guess this is toning up her legs and whatnot. But she's running backwards. But guess what? Every so often, she has to turn around and look because she don't want to run off the sidewalk where she's running, or she don't run run into somebody on a bicycle or, or a stroller or whatever. But that's a hard way to do things. If she'd turn around, I bet she'd make a whole lot more progress than what she's making. But that's the way that she decides to run. But it's always an interesting sight to see her. And Paul is saying that there's no way in the world you can move forward if you don't stop looking backwards. And so Paul says you need to forget everything that you may have accomplished in your life as far as goodness is concerned. You need to forget everything that you've done that is bad in your life so far. Uh, Instead, he goes on and says and reach forth unto those things which are before. Now, what are the things which are before? Now, that almost doesn't sound right. Because we're reaching forward, but we're reaching forward to things which are before. Now, you see what he, what's happening here? We're going forward, but the things we're going forward to are the things which are already there. You see it? Reaching forward to the things which are before? How does that work? What is he, what's he talking about? What is the things that happened before that he had talked about already in the text? Okay, okay. All right, Michael, what happened before so he could press for heaven? All right. She said, I don't know if you heard not, but she said death and resurrection. First of all, there's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross. That happened before. What the Apostle Paul did in response to that happened before. So he's, he's reaching forward, not based once again on him, but he's reaching forward based on what God had done through Jesus Christ. In fact, as, as Michael says, as he drives the point home, you notice he says, which are before, and there's a comma, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God and Christ Jesus. Now, we'll come back to the pressing toward the mark here in just a moment. But I want to look at the last part of that verse because it ties into the before part we're talking about where he says... The high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is the high calling of God? Some translations will have the upward calling. What is the upward or high calling of Christ Jesus? What is that? Live with God in heaven, but I want us to emphasize the calling. What's the calling here? Well, someone could look at it that way, because there is going to be a shout the voice of the archangel when we're all archangel when we're all risen from the dead, very familiar verse that we use sometimes. That we miss the latter part of it. Romans eight twenty eight says, "For we know that all things work together to, for good to them that love the Lord, and to them that are called according to His purpose." Now. That's a verse we use to, to make us feel better when we're dealing with struggles and trials, which that's the reason why the verse is there. But things are going to work together for good to them that are called according to his purpose. In what way are we called according to his purpose? Yes, Jane? All right. All right, those are saved. But how are we the called out ones? All right. God calls us through the gospel. And I know this is some simple stuff here, but I want to make sure we all see it. He, he is saying that when a person becomes a Christian, they have answered the call, if you will, the call of the gospel. Um, God has given, given us his good news, and the good news is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And so what he's saying here in the text is that the thing that is before is the idea of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Once again, he's bringing it back to Christ Jesus. So see what he's done here now. He says, this one thing I do, I forget about those things which are a part of the past. So I put those behind me, whether they be good or bad. And now I'm reaching forward to those things which are before. The things that are before is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And because of that fact, not because of him and what happened in the past, the thing that's going to cause him to go forward is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that enables him, in verse 14, to press toward the mark for the prize. And um, the word press there is an interesting word in the Greek. Uh, it means to pursue. Um, they use it when they talk about an um, animal Uh, pursuing their prey Uh, in other words uh, a lion sees a zebra or something over there in the distance and he says there's my goal that's what I want to get and I'm going to get there and I'm going to strive and and pursue that animal so I can have that and have a tasty uh, uh, zebra hamburger or whatever that's also a term that's used as far as a runner running in a race and he's reached that point in the race where he can see the finish line off in the distance. And so now he's, he's str- given everything he can to, to get to that particular finish line. And so that's what he's talking about in verse 14 when he says, I pressed toward the mark for the prize. And the prize, of course, is, is heaven. So let's take all these verses now and, and kind of just sum it all up. Keep in mind within context... He is trying to let the Philippian brethren know that they cannot be saved uh, by the works of merit. They cannot be saved by the works of the flesh. Paul has already made the point that the only way we are going to receive righteousness is by our faith in Jesus Christ. And someone might take that and say, Uh, well, that means I'm a perfect person now because all I have to worry about is the blood of Jesus Christ and therefore I'm a perfect person and I'm I'm perfectly walking in newness of life. Uh, I'm I'm perfect in every way because of the blood of Jesus Christ and therefore, as Glenn said earlier, I can just kind of sit on my laurels and don't have to worry about anything. No, Even the Apostle Paul said, no, I'm not there yet. I've got some work to do. I've got... Uh, some things I need to forget about and I need to keep pressing on to the things that I need to be worried about. And so he says, I'm going to do this one thing. I'm going to forget about the past. I'm going to keep looking toward the future. Um, it's not about perfection. It's about direction is what he's saying. In the verse I mentioned a few moments ago, First John chapter 1 and verse 7, uh, it's once again the idea of not perfection. It's about direction. What direction are you heading in? Uh, I enjoy reading 1 John, especially the first um, chapter and the, the, the verses that follow after the first chapter, because that gives me so much assurance that realizing that, um, uh, as Paul is talking about here, John does just a little bit better job of explaining it. As we've already mentioned in verse 7, he says, if we walk in the light, and walking is a direction, if we walk in the light as he is in light, We have fellowship with one with another. We're part of the Lord's church. And we have the blood of Jesus Christ which cleanses us from all sin. And then just in case someone thinks he's talking about living sinlessly perfectly, and Paul understood that couldn't be the case. He says in verse 8, he says, If any man thinks that he has no sin, the truth is not in him and he is a liar. Then he says what he says in verse 9, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then once again, uh, in verse uh, 10, he says, if you say that you have no sin, you're basically making God a liar. But then you get to chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, my little children, I write these things unto you that you sin not. In other words, we try to live a life without sin. But then he says, if any man sin, we need to understand and appreciate that we have an advocate in heaven, a lawyer in heaven, heaven, a paraclete, a go-between, one who stands beside you in the throne room of God. We have an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ the Lord, who is the propitiation of our sins. Now John right there gave us kind of a commentary of what Paul is saying right here in this text. Paul is saying, as you live the Christian life, you strive to be a certain kind of person to walk in newness of life because you want to be worthy of that resurrection at the end. But Paul also understood, because he was human, that he didn't always get it right. And therefore, when he doesn't get it right, what does he do? He says, I forget about those things which are of the past, and I look forward to those things which are before, and I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus. Once again, it's about the direction that we're heading in. As we go along through life and we stumble, yet what is our direction? What what are we trying to do with our life? Where is our faith and our trust? And that brings it back to full circle to what Paul was driving at in this whole discussion. Judaizing teachers, it's not about what we do. It's about our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only place where we're going to find salvation. In fact, in verse 15, what does he say? He says, let us therefore. If everything that he has said so far is the case, he's going to quit talking about himself and he's going to talk about Christians as a whole. He says, let us. Church at Philippi and all of us here. He says, let us therefore, if everything he said is true, as many as be perfect Be thus minded. Now, the perfect he's talking about here, as some translations have, they have complete, uh, they have mature, uh, but they all carry with it the same idea of of being perfect. He says in verse uh, 12 that he is not perfect, but then yet he talks about Christianity and talks about uh, the church as a whole, and he says that we can be perfect or complete or reach full maturity as a Christian. And reaching full maturity as a Christian means being what God wants us to be as a Christian. So it almost looks like a contradiction here. He says that I can't be perfect in verse uh, 12. I can't be everything that I need to be in verse 12. But yet in verse 15, he says, those of us who are everything that we need to be. Now, did he just contradict himself? I see people shaking their heads, but somebody tell me why, please, so I'll know. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to say something here that might surprise you, but I'm a perfect person. Y'all probably don't realize that, but I'm a perfect person. Yeah. Yeah. The perfect man the Gold Hill Road. I sure did. Uh, they gave me that job. They said, the perfect man, James Forrest. That's right. Now, how am I perfect? What makes me Perfect. Through Jesus Christ, it's his blood that makes me perfect. Now, you see what Paul is driving at here. He in the flesh can never be perfect. But through his faith in Jesus Christ, he can be perfect. And folks, it has to be that way because if you're not perfect before God, guess what? You're out of there. God cannot tolerate sin whatsoever. You have to have his righteousness to be in his presence. And Paul talked about that earlier uh, when he says that uh, his righteousness is not of his own, but his righteousness is of God through his faith in Jesus Christ. So he's come back to full circle dealing with these Judaizing teachers. And if the Judaizing teachers could point at him and say, well, Paul... And some people have already done this, evidently, we read earlier in the chapter. Point at Paul and say, how dare you say that you're, you're the person you need to be? I know you. You're in prison and you, you're not everything you need to be. Well, he turns it back around he says, my completeness, my Christian maturity does not come from myself. It comes from the, the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, Glenn. Very good. In fact, you're going on to my next point, which is good. But he says, be thus minded in the text. Uh, th- you need to think the same way that I'm thinking. And if we all think the same way, we'll understand that there'll be unity in the church and there'll be no room whatsoever for these Judaizing teachers. Because when these Judaizing teachers come in and start criticizing you and say, you're not everything you need to be, let, them remi- let you remind them where this comes from. That it's through the faith in Jesus Christ. It's not keeping the law. In fact... Um, He says something almost a little bit odd in verse 15. He says, and if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Now that has puzzled people down through the years what he meant there. But basically it's very simple. He's saying that if you don't feel this way now, if you don't understand what I'm talking about when I say that I'm not perfect yet, but I am complete and perfect in Jesus Christ. There's something you need to be spending some more time doing. And that is studying God's Word. Uh, The older I get and the more uh, I study God's Word, the more I am convinced and convicted of the fact that I so need the grace of God. I so need the blood of Jesus Christ. And that I've got to have it and there's nothing I can do without it. And so he's saying... Here, in order to understand and appreciate what I'm saying so that we can all be like-minded, if you don't get it yet, you need to let God reveal more of his will to you and understand what is behind the will of God. In fact, as Glenn has already said, and we've run way out of time, I'm sorry. He says, nevertheless, whereto we have already attained or already reached the point that we've reached, let us walk by the same rule, literally in the Greek text, the same standard. Let us mind the same thing. Well, what, what is he wanting them to keep as the standard? What's the thing he wants to place before them? What's the same thing he wants them to think about as far as the unity is concerned? Well, everything that he has said, that it's about faith in Jesus Christ, it's not of works, um, that we need to keep pressing toward the mark of the gold, uh, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What God has done for us, that's what we put our trust in, that's what we press toward because that's the only way that we're going to be able to go to heaven. And I apologize, but I've gone way over, and we need to stop so the other people can come in. But thank you so much for your comments.